Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It is Faith and Family Friday on the program. And I'm not joined by my wife, who is also my sister in Christ, but I'm joined by a sister who is also a sister in Christ. Yes, that's right. Your favorite sister, Mary Eucharista, who's been joining me quite a bit on Sound Insight, has agreed to, hey, come on again. And this time we're going to talk, we're going to make a confession. Each of us is going to make a confession today on the program. What are we confessing? Well, you're going to have to wait. Talk about that in just one minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we love you. We thank you for the gift of family. We thank you for priests and religious. Lord, we ask that you would grant to us a greater sense of the church as the family of God. And Lord, help us to live our faith and grow our faith within this beautiful communion of persons created in the image of God. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I know Faith and Family Fridays, normally Carrie is here with me, and she's been taking a bit of a break this summer. We've got eight of our nine kiddos at home, and so we've been focusing on family. So, Sister Mary Eucharista has so graciously agreed to step in and today be on the program to talk about the Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation. I told you we were going to make a confession. Well, we're actually going to talk about confession. You're going to love this interview. We get into all kinds of things like meaningful confessions and how to make a good confession and all of that. So I hope and pray that that will be a blessing to you. So let's dive right in to my interview with Sister Mary Eucharista. Well, and welcome to the program, Sister Mary Eucharista. It's a delight to have you here again, Sister. How are you doing? I am spectacular. Thank that you, is a Tom. great word. And first of all, what a great word, a spectacle. Yeah, a spectacular. Uh, I wonder what's the root meaning of spectacular? Do you know what the root meaning of that word is? I'm not certain, but you know uh, that the word spec is in there, spec. And that is usually like when we... Uh, you know, spect is to see, and then respect is to see again. And so maybe spectacular is to see and realize, wow, it's bigger than we imagined the first time. That's my thought of it. I was thinking of the the term mirror, Yeah, that there's, I think in Latin, there's like a root meaning of mirror in there, but uh, a spectacle, something, well, well, it's something outstanding. So you are doing outstanding, sister, and we'll stay with that. I do think there is a a bit of a spectacle uh, in the Catholic Church today that is often associated with the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, otherwise known as confession. And it's a bit of a spectacle from the standpoint that people will look on and be a bit amazed that Catholics do that. And then there are those Catholics who are regular practitioners of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. They make a regular confession, like monthly, or even more than that. 
And for them, it's a bit of a spectacle that so many Catholics don't even spend any time thinking about going to confession, that confession's not a part of their daily lives or their regular practice of the faith. And so today we're going to talk about that. Today we're going to talk about the gift of confession. We're going to talk about the different parts of confession. So sister, um, as we get started, um, would you say a prayer and maybe link it into that theme of confession? I will do my best, Tom. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Lord, never could we have imagined or made up a sacrament like this gift of the sacrament of reconciliation. We thank you for the healing that you provide for us and the release of being able to tell another who is Jesus our sins. Even if we don't have sins, but you still transform us in this holy sacrament. And we ask that you give us, especially during this time period of uh, listening on the radio, an opportunity to appreciate more deeply and to reverence and gain more grace from this holy sacrament offered to us any time we need it in the Catholic Church. And we thank you, Lord. We ask you to bless and anoint us today. And in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you, sister. I really appreciate that beautiful prayer. So sister, I'm going to um, just kind of pepper you with a few questions here, share a couple of stories before we dive in. I guess the first is this. Many people have a memorable confession, or maybe a way of saying it is the most spectacular confession that they've ever had. Do you have a memorable confession that had a, let's say, like, obviously like a lasting impact or something that you just found so striking. I'd love to hear that. You don't have to say the sins. You know, I don't no, know no, what no. the sins are. Even if just, I did, it wouldn't really embarrass me because it's just part and parcel of being broken and human. But uh, <laughs> I do remember when I was in third grade, uh, we had been taught in second grade to stand on the kneeler um, for the confession because we were too small. If we knelt, then the you know, where the priest was would start above where our heads were. So we were told to stand on the, on the kneeler and then the light would go on. And so we all stood faithfully. It might've even been fourth grade. I don't know. But one day when I was uh, making my confession, uh, the priest, I could see his face in the, you know, this dim figure in the confessional. And he looked over and he said, Oh, excuse me, but are you, are you kneeling or are you standing? And I said, Oh, I, I'm standing because when you stand it, that light goes on. So I was like, I'm standing. And he said, "Um, you know, I think maybe you're a big enough girl now that you can kneel instead of standing. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I couldn't even believe that somebody had to tell me that because I was bending over to tell him my sins in the confessional. And so that always kind of remained with me as my my the day that I knelt for confession for the first time. But, uh, you know, little kids, they don't 
really get it. And they need adults to tell them sometimes or even their own friends, but nobody, I'm sure everybody else had figured it out, but I wouldn't be astounded if by eighth grade, some of the boys were actually still being told to kneel for their confession. <laughs> <laughs> so sister, I'm going to give you um, my like memorable confession. It uh, has to do with the reading of hearts. So I don't know if that's ever something you've experienced in confession, but during the time I was 18 and it was during my awakening of faith. And part of my awakening of faith was this tremendous encounter with Christ in the Eucharist. And we had a chance to talk about that. And that was accompanied by uh, a greater devotion, not only to going to mass, not only to praying the rosary and, and, and incorporating the gift of the blessed mother, not only reading the scriptures, but also the practice of going to confession more regularly. And there was a priest who was assigned to our parish who um, he had, he carried that sort of sense of that he's a holy priest. He very reverent. And, and you just had a sense of this is a holy priest, right? Not that others aren't, but that he just, he, he radiated it. So uh, I remember going to confession to him. And at the end of my confession, he said, I see another sin on your soul. I see another sin on your soul. And I thought, oh my goodness, what do I do? So I'm like, Father, I cannot remember. I can't, I can't think of what that sin would be. And he said, ask the Blessed Mother to reveal it to you. So, I mean, I'm sweating now, right? I am sweating in the confessional thinking, there's a sin on my soul. I don't know what it is. Blessed Mother, please help me. And something came to my mind. It was about something in my past that I had done. And then when I had gone to confession, felt the impetus, felt the urge to confess it, and I didn't. And um, he, uh, when he said this, I said, is it this? He said, yes. And he then, you know, obviously he forgave, granted me absolution, but it was like this huge relief and release in my life, in my spiritual life, because I had been laboring under the burden of a sin that I wasn't even aware of, of not only the sin that I had committed, but the worst, the worst sin of not confessing it, even though I knew it was wrong because I was embarrassed. So what a great mercy from the Lord that this priest was sent into my life to read my heart. And uh, through the, the grace of, of the Blessed Mother's intercession to have it come out into the open. So there's my memory. Whoa. Uh, you know, I never had anything quite like that, but I heard of saints, you know, St. John Vianney would frequently tell people, and how about that time when blah, 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 and the person is like, oh, what? You know, I mean, same same kind of uh, impact, I'm sure. 
uh, and Padre Pio as well would help people and and assist them uh, to to confess sins. You know, I I think of uh, when I was young, I used to look at confessions as more of a list of things, and always um, did I commit mortal sin, and I would fret and worry and sweat and wonder. And I found out when I started going to confession to this beautiful old priest, and he said to me, he was from Holland, and he said, sister, you are scrubbing your soul. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, what, 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 what do you mean? And he said, you are scrubbing your soul. It's all right to relax and just, you can proclaim the goodness of the Lord in your confession as well. And I was like, I didn't know I could do that. That is such a relief. And another time, I think I've told you this story, um, a priest said, sister, you are very neat in your confessions. You can feel free whenever you want to ask the Lord to come in and just clean up the mess. You don't have to do this precise. You know, I mean, I, I, like I said, I was, you know, really sweating over this and an examination of conscience is a very serious thing from what I remember, uh, being taught. And I, I, I think I went from a time of overexertion to release to the Lord in my confessions. And I have much more to say about this. And I, I just want to let everyone know that confession is a place of healing and release and joy and peace. And especially at the weakest point where a person is. This is where confession has true, deep, sacramental power of itself to heal us in the places where nothing else can seem to heal us. Amen. That's so beautiful and uh, and true. And, and you know, the church. This is the. It's sort of that one of those hidden treasures, and I, I want to say it's one of those places where so many Catholics have been swindled. We've been swindled out of this sacrament of mercy, this sacrament of healing, where the Lord comes as a divine physician to unbind us and set us free. And instead we stay hidden. We hold back. Um, and I think I think at times, um, sometimes certain church leaders have, in the name of um, pastoral care, um, moved people away from um, an authentic or deep embracing of the practice of going to confession, maybe especially one-on-one. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. 
I'm talking with Sister Mary Eucharista and talking about the, the gift of confession. So when I moved out here in the out to the Seattle area in the late 90s, I was a little bit taken aback by the lack of the practice of confession and the common practice of communal celebrations of reconciliation. And uh, it, you know, I can remember, you know, going to these celebrations where, you know, they called them communal penance services, but they didn't have an opportunity for individual confession. And so the priest, after leading everyone through uh, a penance, you know, sorts of prayers and readings would say, well, there's one of me and too many of you. So I have permission to offer general absolution and would grant general absolution. And I can remember some people coming out saying, oh, that is so much nicer than having to go into the box and having to confess you know, in a, in, in that, in that place, one-on-one, it was, it was so much easier to hide in the crowd and just sort of speak to God in my own heart that I'm sorry. And I felt so sad. I felt like they were being robbed. They were, they were being swindled out of an intimate encounter with the mercy of Jesus, the spiritual consolation and resurrection the spiritual resurrection that comes from being reconciled to God in the sacrament. So that's that I, I just, I'll stop there. I, that, that was something that I was, I found so disconcerting. Hmm. I've never had that experience, so I don't know, but um, you know, a time of experimentation certainly did happen in the church and, you know, for whatever it was worth, perhaps there was, Something good that happened that we don't know, but um, I think that the church has rectified that now. And I think that uh, every priest I know really puts the word out about the sacraments. And sometimes we have uh, days of prayer on the sacrament of, of reconciliation. And I just always find something more to learn every time. Uh, there's, you know, something about the sacrament. I hear that you wrote a book about this. Well, thank you, sister. I like the way you just teed me up for that. Yes, <laughs> I did. I, I wrote a book uh, in part because of that very situation that I'm talking about. Um, it was called Confession, Five Sentences That Will Heal Your Life. In fact, um, we're about to do a series on Sound Insight on my program where I walk through the book in great detail and uh, in fact, you and I are going to use the, those five sentences as uh, as discussion points uh, in in this program. And so, essentially, it's uh, you know five sentences that will heal your life. It's it's really calling upon the fact that confession or the sacrament of penance and reconciliation is a sacrament of healing. Right? You talk about a sacraments of initiation, vocation, and healing, and uh, and so the two sacraments of healing are the anointing of the sick and confession. And people wouldn't think about confession as a sacrament of healing, which you you brought out, sister, so beautifully. But the five sentences uh, were, were related to the acts of the penitent, right? So in, in the sacramental theology of the church, the acts of the penitent 
uh, you can break them down into these five sentences, which are, I did it, I'm sorry, forgive me, I will make up for it, and I'll never do it again. So when you have fractured or broken a relationship, if you want to restore and reconcile that relationship, there are these five sentences to heal it. I did it, which is confessing, confession. I'm sorry, which is contrition. Forgive me, which is reconciliation uh, or forgiveness. Uh, the um, I will make up for it, which is satisfaction or penance. And then I'll never do it again, which is resolution, which is a uh, one aspect of contrition is the resolve never to sin again. And so, uh, so we're going to talk about those five sentences. So what did you think about those five sentences when I, I shared that with you uh, in our little pre-programming notes? You know, I, I was pretty impressed because I, I was very much reminded of the uh, five areas to remember in the sacrament of, of penance, as we used to call it, um, in the church, in the Baltimore Catechism. Um, first of all, be sorry for your sins, have the firm purpose of not sinning again. Uh, let's see, confess your sins to the priest, be willing to do the penance the priest gives you. And then there's one more and I, <laughs> it's in, I'm sure if I Googled it, I could come right up with it, but um, just keeping it simple for the average person, I think is really vital because, you know, this is, um, this is about healing. This is about moving forward. This is about becoming transformed from a place of sin to a place of resurrection so that we can not only be prepared for our future home in heaven, but bring as many people with us as we can, especially our friends, our family and friends and those closest to us, but the whole world. And I think this is where all of these, these areas uh, it just seems so healthy, even really, as we think about today and uh, the spiritual need that that people are crying out for, uh, you know, and, and the secular answers are not satisfying. Um, one of which I think is um, a very good thing. It's therapy, you know, uh, cognitive therapy, going and talking to someone. Um, I don't think, I don't know anyone who would go and confess their sins to a therapist, obviously, but there is this need to reveal oneself to another. And even though um, in the sacrament of reconciliation, typically we will uh, stick to the sins and, uh, and we may have even gotten messages like that when we were kids, you know, just, just stick to the sins now, honey, you don't have to tell me the whole story, but um you know, this is where, you know, if we need spiritual direction or additional advice or counsel, that's where we get it. And to be able to have personal contact with the priest and be able to have that interaction. I have uh, students who have come to me for spiritual direction and have said that uh, weekly confession, and, and these aren't even, you know, particularly faith-driven students, but they have found that reconciliation is such a consolation to their hearts and they they feel they can go on with their lives after it and and they depend upon it every week as they're the thing they're hungry for so i just think there's there's so much need for it 
and wherever we can pick it up and move with it. I think a lot of it is we don't plan our lives around it. And if we were to be able to do that, um, we would find there are many, many opportunities to go to confession in our church today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree, sister. So let's talk about the first sentence. I did it. All right. So the the first sentence I did it is, um, is the act of self accusation. So at the essence of confession is the capacity and willingness to accuse oneself. And I think that's so critical. And I think that's probably the biggest roadblock. The biggest roadblock, if you think about those five sentences, I did it, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll make up for it, I'll never do it again. The biggest roadblock is the first one. That I think most people don't go to confession because they don't want to bring out into the open a shameful part of their lives. They would rather keep it hidden. And so um, in my experience, um, the act of self-accusation is a huge growth area in our spiritual lives. When we're finally able to realize that the peace and the freedom that the Lord wants for me only comes when I'm willing to reveal what I would rather keep hidden. I, I hear this, and for, I'm going to just mention something here. Um, I find that when I rephrase things for people who are very frightened to go to confession or haven't been for many, many years, and they don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I hear over and over, well, I haven't murdered anyone, ha, ha, ha. And it's like, I know. And underlying that could be a deep fear And so what I tell them is um, I try to steer away from words that for the very frightened, I think this is important. Um, I think that the word accuse, I I think about that word and I think of Jesus being accused and, and, and uh, a death sentence coming accusation is it's very real, but I, I try to tell people speak the action that you have done. And this is where you will achieve, you will receive freedom from being liberated from this. I mean, you will be liberated by the speaking of this word. And I'll, I'll guess I'll give you a background on this. Um, when I used to go to confession, my examination, as I said before, was a little exasperating because I would sweat and strain over these things and I would say did I really do it or did I not do it do I can I go to communion can I not go to communion so I was suffering from kind of scruples that I wish you know I I finally did get a priest who was just able to release me from that that place that I had been wrongfully educated about it was like a wrong conscience I was taught to a wrong conscience but I was able to maintain a balance that was much more healthy And um, so I can kind of recognize in people, not so much a scrupulosity, but a fear. And so when I say speaking the the word, speaking the action, I can tell them a story about, and I might've mentioned this before on this show, but a young woman who wrote a story uh, in English class, and she said, she was a convert. And she said, um, she just talked about uh, I had to, I, I stood in line for confession. I needed no, there was no need 
for me to examine my conscience. I knew what I had done. And the freedom flowing to me from those words was she had no, there was no false guilt. There was no shame. There was this realization, I have done something and I am going to tell the priest and I'm going to receive the gift of absolution. And, you know, I could call that self-accusation and to an untainted soul that should be fine. But to the fearful soul or the one who has perhaps been uh, given an education in shame or uh, false guilt, I'll, I'll, I'll just say rather, let's speak the words, speak the action that you have done. And don't be afraid. The priest has heard everything. This is his bread and butter. He is not, he is not shocked at you ever. You cannot shock a priest. I don't know. Does that have any... I love that. Sister Mary Eucharist, I love that. I um I I think I'm a bit more of the like philosopher theologian and I like the traditional language and I hadn't pondered honestly the take away the word self and you just left with the word accusation because in social media, in politics, in wider culture when people say you're accused of something that does carry tons of negative connotations. Um, and so I I hadn't focused on like those meanings of accusation. I focused more on the concept of self-accusation is the opposite of self-defense. Like I'm not going to defend my actions. I'm not going to rationalize my behavior. I'm going to simply accuse myself. In other words, I'm going to bring out into the open what I'd rather keep hidden. I'm going to reveal what I'd rather have remain unknown. And so maybe it's that language, come out into the open, reveal, come out of hiding, bring out of hiding, uh, that will peel away uh, or minimize the the negative connotations associated with the the concept of self-accusation. Yeah, that's um. I think that's also where um, I don't know. I th- a thought came to me as the good shepherd is very active in the sacrament, and we are the little lambs who are cut and broken in the brambles, and Jesus is gently removing us so that our fur will not get torn and our little hooves don't get unnecessarily bruised. And he's holding us to his heart and he's saying, it's all right, little lamb, you're back home. And we just bleat out our sins and let him know this is what happened. And I don't know, sometimes I think we hide because we are afraid and because we're ashamed. And I think the heart of Christ is so merciful here. And this is where the, the, the grace of this sacrament is something that even, um, you know, a, a frightened child would know Christ is embracing her here and not, uh, you know, I think God, in, in a sense, I, I remember hearing the story of where uh, this soul was accusing herself and Jesus was defending her. And it was like, it, and it wasn't a vision or something, but it wasn't. Uh, that's not often what we think of in the sacrament of uh, reconciliation, because reconciliation is re- reconciling ourselves to 
the Lord and to the human race. It's something where it's a sin is always going to affect everyone, whether it's a private hidden sin or a very public sin. And that's where uh, there are many effects of the sacrament of reconciliation, just as there are many effects from sin. And that's where the resurrection is taking over the crucifixion of what we have done in this world. Yeah, amen. That's Sister Mary Eucharista talking with me today about the gift of confession, the gift of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. And she's the director of programs at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, which is located on the South Hill of Spokane, a beautiful, beautiful grounds. Sisters, speaking of reconciliation, there's an upcoming event happening there called Summertime Spiritual Moment on Wednesday, August the 9th. It's on freedom through forgiveness with Father Mike Savaleski and Deacon John Rushinsky. Mm-hmm. How do you pronounce that? Did <laughs> I get that right? You did. <laughs> yes. But he doesn't say it so slowly, I'm sure. Oh. And it's all about forgiveness and connecting it to freedom. I love that. Folks, uh, again, to find out about all the amazing things happening at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, just go to the website, which is ihrc.net, ihrc. In other words, Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, ihrc.net. And you'll see not only uh, this uh, upcoming event on Wednesday, August the 9th, but other wonderful events. You just click on that events tab at the top of the page. And it'll have a number of things, including we have Brendan Case coming up for a weekend retreat, which is awesome, uh, August the 11th. And uh, I'm connecting with Brendan to um, to have him come on to talk about that retreat for men and women, uh, which is really amazing. And uh, in fact, this uh, we're right now in the midst of the eight-day Ignatian silent retreat. And I had on Father Je- Jeff Putoff. And so how's that retreat going? Are they making a lot of noise, sister? They are being so silent. It is just beautiful. I see the gentle uh, smiles of the people who are there. Some are uh, sitting intently for hours, This, you know, like uh, either writing in a journal or just praying or, or just walking along slowly in these beautiful summer days out on the paths. I saw one woman this morning um, just watching the bees in the roses, just fascinated by them plunging themselves into this nectar and just pulling them, filling themselves with pollen and flying away very heavily laden with their pollen. And, you know, I mean, I think that what we experience on retreat is something that is the gift of an encounter with the Lord and that we can begin to find God in everything. And that God is finding us in everything as well. And that's the joy of this eight-day Ignatian retreat because that's kind of the uh, that's the, the the whole the whole idea is encountering Christ and finding God in all things uh, with the true Ignatian way. So Amen. I love that. I'm talking again with Sister Mary Eucharista, a sister of Mary Mother of the Church. Um, St. Augustine has a great phrase. He says, what is not revealed cannot be healed and uh, or will not be healed. And the image of confession as a spiritual disease brings up the idea of going before the divine physician with your spiritual disease, like you'd go to the doctor's office. And 
I love that analogy. Can you imagine going to a doctor's office? You're there in the examination room. The doctor comes in and you're sick. And the doctor comes in and says, well, what's wrong? And you say, I'm not telling. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm not going to show you what, that, what part of me is hurting. Well, how can I help you? I can't help you unless you're willing to show me what it is that's broken. Unless you show me the wound, I can't apply a healing remedy. Unless you talk to me about the sickness, I can't help you discover the cure. And that's the gift. One way of understanding the gift of confession is the gift of having a safe place to come out into the open with those things that we want to keep hidden. But if we think about them as spiritual wounds and diseases that the divine physician intends to apply the healing balm of forgiveness in his mercy, then why wouldn't we run to our spiritual doctor, our divine physician, with our spiritual diseases? You know, I, I truly hear this. It's really beautiful, Tom, how you said that. And I know that the divine physician is truly uh, he who absolves us. And remember, the priest says, I absolve you from your sins. He has been given the gift by, by Jesus. Jesus is himself absolving you. And he says, um, he says at the uh, peace be with you, my peace I give to you. And he says, um, receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you shall forgive. They are forgiven them and whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. And this is that, that sacrament that I think a lot of people don't realize that the apostles and their successors have been ordained by God to have a power that is only given to the priestly class that is this um, unspeakable invention that releases us on this earth if we had one human being once a generation who could be accessed in one place in the world for a certain number of hours or days think how the world would flock to this person to to be re released from their sins this is something that christ has given to every single priest with that jurisdiction uh, allowed by their bishop, which it's kind of complex, really, when you think about it. Not every priest can just forgive, can be a confessor. They have to actually be released to be the confessor. And in fact, St. Um, uh, Casey, uh, let's see, what's what was his first name? Um, blessed. Oh, Solanus um, Casey. Solanus Casey. He was ordained to celebrate mass, but he couldn't hear confessions. And uh, I think eventually down the road, I'm not sure if he was able to finally hear them or not, but he wasn't released immediately to hear confessions. And sometimes they would hold back a priest uh, and not give him, release him for confession. But um, it, we're so blessed to have confessions available to us almost. And, and, and some priests have a special charism in addition to the, the power. And I don't know if you've ever been to one, but I've, I've, I've several in the years, in just recent years, I remember just going <coughs> and telling them afterwards, you know, I, I received a very special gift while you were 
uh, absolving me from my sins. And I just want you to know, I felt so, um, I don't know if it was welcome or what it was, but there was a special touch by the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was the words of understanding. Maybe it was just the words of gentleness, like the good shepherd coming across. And it wasn't something that just was, uh, you know, you know, I just, just straight across. It wasn't just transactional. It was something more. And I, I made sure to let those priests know how that was affecting me at least. And they were grateful to know. And I think it was something that um, speaks to the, the penitent in a unique way from certain priests, but every priest has the power. And I mean, even if a person has a bad time uh, in a confessional, you know, hopefully they can go again to another priest and have a better experience um, because the confession is always grace giving and life healing and um, preparing us for, for the next section of our lives. Yeah. I love it. The catechism talks about that. There should be even an expectation that, when we receive forgiveness that we'll experience at an existential level, right? Very deeply felt consolation. There'll be a spiritual consolation that often accompanies a good confession. And I have found that that's for sure true. And like you, sister, I, there are, there's a, there are a couple of priests I, I think of one in particular that, when I confess, I'll, I'll, I'll do the Ten Commandments as the means of framing my confession. And uh, I, I'm not scrupulous, but for, I find that very helpful just to be like uh, complete. And um, I sometimes think I'm going to be hiding like the most important sin in the middle of them all. Right. And this one priest, I tell you, graced by God is able to just pick out the very thing that was most troubling my conscience or the thing that I most needed to address. And it was uncanny. There was like from an objective standpoint, if you looked at the a transcript, they it wouldn't have jumped out at you probably. But the way that this priest went right to that particular sin called it out and then shared insight. You talked about understanding, had insight into the matter that applied to my life. I'm like, man, this priest is just graced or anointed in hearing confessions. It's not the same as reading souls, but it it's like a word of knowledge from God saying, pay attention to this, speak this wisdom, and it was very powerful. So when I mean, when that happens, it really does elevate in the uh, you know in the in the lives of those who encounter that the the truth that Jesus Christ is the principal agent in uh, and at work in confession. The priest is the instrument, but it's Christ who's the principal agent, who's using his ordained instrument to reach his people. Um, with his mercy. So I, I just, I love when that happens. That's such a gift. For sure. I'm just uh, so grateful. When we were little kids, mom, as soon as we did go to our first confession and then go to our first communion, mom would make sure every two weeks, the whole family would go to confession. 
And um, I remember one time uh, being a little sassy and saying, what if I didn't want to go to confession, mom? She said, well, you'll, you're going to get in line with the rest of us. And that was just it. We just n- always knew this is not something I'm going to, uh, I'm going to slough off. And uh, it was always, it was a family ritual. <laughs> I mean, yes. as much as, as we did the same thing, about, we, did we you? lived uh, like about a half a mile from the church and it was ride our bikes up on Saturday afternoon to go to confession. Yeah. And that was about, it felt like it was once a month. But it might have been every few months, but it certainly felt like it was once a month. In my memory, talking about it on the radio, it was once a month. But it, in reality, <laughs> it was probably less than that. So Maybe, yeah. yeah. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. All right. So sister, here we are. I'm talking with Sister Mary Eucharista, talking about the, the gift of confession. So the five sentences, I did it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll make up for it. I'll never do it again. We talked about, I did it. What, uh, what about the rest of the sentences? Which one do you want to go to next? I did it. I'm sorry. Contrition. Forgive me. The petition for mercy. I'll make up for it. Satisfaction. Or I'll never do it again. Resolution. Which of those jumps the out last at you? One. Yeah, I uh, the reason I'm going to talk about it is because I remember uh, going to confession one day and I was really I mean, you know, the impact sometimes of a conviction is just like compunction. I was the more I thought about the sin that I had committed, I was like so upset at myself. And really, that's pride because humility would be, oh, you know course I did you know there's just I'm I'm I have brokenness and you know you have a balance about these things and yes I did it I mean I'm not shocked at all but I was shocked at myself and the more shocked I got the more uh I was I was kind of found myself talking about it in confession and I was again going to this same old priest and he was looking at me very gently and then he would sometimes say hmm Mm-hmm. and listening. And I looked at him at, you know, just before I got my penis and I said, father, I will never ever do this again, ever. And I think I was over intense because he, he opened his eyes a little more and kind of sat back and said, Oh, ah, and just nodded. And I said, no, really I, never. I will never. Do you know, by that afternoon, I actually, uh, he was our, our resident chaplain here at Immaculate Heart. I, I knocked on his door and, and he answered it. And I said, Father, <laughs> do you remember? Well, of course, you're not going to say you remember, but I went to confession to you this morning and I was like so intense about, I will never, ever, ever do this again. I already did it today. Just want you to know. And he said, ah, and he just smiled gently and nodded. And I, he said, was there anything else? And I said, no, just wanted to tell you that. 
I was like, uh, am I a total loss? No, I'm just human and I have brokenness. And let's just receive what this is. It is reality. We are going to sin again, but at least have the intention of not sinning again. That's what the church offers us. Have the intention of not sinning, sinning again. Yeah, I, I find there, there's a scripture, right, of the woman caught in adultery who's going to be stoned to death and they come to Jesus, right? There's a paradox there that I don't often hear identified. And it has to do with this concept. Because Jesus, in turning to defend the uh, the woman caught in adultery, turns to the to the Pharisees and other, you know, Jewish people there, the other people there who are, have stones. And what does he say to them? Do you remember what he says to them? Let the one among you who is without, without sin, sin cast the first stone, right? So those and of you that Tom, have no sin cast, mm -hmm. cast the stone. And what do they all do? They all drop their stones and walk away. And then he turns and says to the woman, no one's condemned you, neither do I condemn you. And then what does he say to her? Go and sin, sin no, more. no more. So he he says two things. Go and sin no more. You have no permission to sin. I give you no leeway regarding the reality of committing a sin. And yet he turns to everybody that's there with the insight that every single one of them has sinned. So you have this mystery that is simultaneous in the same in the same power in the same event. Jesus acknowledging that everyone falls short of God's glory. Everyone betrays God in love and betrays the, God's will. And yet no one gets permission. No one gets simply let off the hook with the idea that it's okay to sin. Go and sin no more. Let the one without you without any sin cast the first stone. Both in the same story. Have you ever heard that? Um, I, I think... That Sister, Jesus. the right answer is for you to say, no, Tom, you're amazing. I've never heard that before. How do I even say anything after that? Uh, <laughs> well, okay. Why am I laughing so hard? All right. Anyway, um, I, I think that when Jesus is saying that, he's also saying, where's the guy? You know, you bring a woman here. You have set her up because she was caught in the act of adultery. She was set up and these men are bringing her in. She is a tool and Jesus is grieved. In fact, this is something that uh, I've gone to Dr. Schutz um, retreats before and they did a little vignette, if you will, of the Lord writing in the sand and the woman standing and the different people walking away, starting with the eldest, by the way. And Jesus in, the, in that scripture is actually crouching, but the word crouching in either the Greek or the Aramaic, whichever, I, I don't remember which language, 
but he is crouching the way a lion crouches when it is protecting. protecting I never heard woman. that before, sister. You're amazing. I never heard that before. No, I'm spectacular, remember? You're so sorry. Oh, that's all right. I'll take amazing. I'll take amazing. Nice. Yeah, but isn't that an amazing thought in the midst of this sin? Jesus is protecting the woman. I hear you about the others um, with the um, none of you is without sin and go and sin no more. And that is what indeed we do at confession. We we don't do not will to sin anymore. And we intend not to sin anymore. I mean, Tom, I you could not have gotten someone more intensely on board with, I will never commit this sin again. And by that afternoon, I had done it. And it wasn't this big, horrible sin. It was just a sin that, come on, I do not need to be doing this. And I'm so embarrassed. But that's my pride again. And this is where now I look at that and say, with Father, yes. Uh-huh. And it's not like, uh-huh, yeah, right, you're not going to sin anymore. It's, I understand, you do intend not to sin anymore. Will you sin anymore? Well, God's grace will hold us, but chances are, let's face the facts, you may sin again. And by that afternoon, I had already done it, and I didn't will it, but sin no more. Uh, something to keep always in the forefront, but to know that we will break the commandments because we are broken people and we are all human and in need of the grace of God. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, Thomas Aquinas talks about the call we have um, as the perfection of charity, right? That's what we're called to the perfection of love, that love is to conquer all in us and that we are to live in God's love. And that's called the perfection of charity. That's the goal. And he says that on earth, we who are on the way, we're not yet home in heaven. If you're on the way, the perfection of charity is imperfect. So there's an imperfect perfection of charity. <laughs> and then there's a perfect perfection of charity. So the perfection of charity for one who is on the way takes the form of, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. But in that form of perfection of charity, there still lives human weakness. And that means that we will still experience sin. Oh, excuse me. Oh, excuse me. God bless you. Um, thank you. But the experience of sin will not be that I fall, that I jump into sin, but that I fall into sin that the experience of sin is out of weakness rather than willfulness. And so that is, I guess, the comfort. The comfort is that the Lord does give us the grace we need to never sin again in terms of willing to never sin again. Right. But our human weakness still being on the way, we're not yet home will have an impact on our lives where we will fall short of God's glory. So we yeah. don't jump into sin, but we do fall into sin. Yeah. And also know that God's mercy outclasses all of our sinfulness and that he is already there with his arms open as the prodigal father. 
And we shamefacedly are walking down the road saying, I'm going to bargain with you. Uh, Let me be as one of your servants. And he's saying, come, my child, let me put my ring on your finger and my cloak around you and be a party with me. Come and be at my table. Amen. Sister, that's a great place to end the program with God's mercy and the prodigal father who is lavishing mercy on us, his sons and daughters, way more than we ever could ask or imagine. Well, Sister Mary Eucharista, thank you so much for being with me today on the program. And thank you all for participating. And uh, join me on Monday for another program of Sound Insight. Thank you, Tom. God bless you.